Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we are going to be done with dealing with idolatry today. Um, we come to the close of this passage, uh, this section, if you will, of 1 Corinthians. And um, Paul brings it to a close with kind of not an odd ending, but a very applicable ending. Um, you know, a lot of times we like to look for, hey, give me the steps, give me the three things that I need to do to defeat this or to accomplish this so that we can have a pattern, we can have a step to follow. And Paul gives some very good, applicable steps to, in essence, closing out this mindset of dealing with idolatry. So what he does is he takes us and walks us through not idolatry, but in essence, the opposite of idolatry and how to accomplish the opposite of idolatry. So if you have your Bibles in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. And we're going to read through it, and then we're going to just walk through this passage. Um, if you're taking notes, the title of our lesson is Using Our Freedom for God's Glory. Using Our Freedom for God's Glory. Follow along. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. And I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many that they may be saved, be imitators of me just as I, am, uh, I also am of Christ." So Paul's central theme in this passage is in verse 31. The central theme is whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is actually the opposite of, the, of idolatry. When we talk about idolatry, idolatry is valuing something more than God. It is worshiping God in an incorrect way. But when we have a focus of glorifying God, that is the opposite of idolatry. That is what we are to be about. God created man to glorify himself. God didn't need us. 
Before the earth was created and man was created, God existed totally good. He didn't need us, but God chose to create us and he did it for his own glory. Fallen man cannot purpose to glorify God because he doesn't know God and he doesn't have a godly nature through Jesus Christ. But our purpose as believers is to glorify God. One thing that you can be confident about, every single person in this room will eventually glorify God. Whether you are a believer or not a believer, every person will glorify God. Now you ask yourself, how is that possible? The unredeemed, God is glorified as he pours out his wrath on the unredeemed. Ugh, that's not a fun thought, not a fun concept. God is glorified in his wrath against the unredeemed. Let me give you an example of that. Do you guys remember back in Exodus, Pharaoh, the children of Israel being called out of Egypt? And God addresses Pharaoh and what he's going to do. Pharaoh did not seek to glorify God at all. In fact, he rejected God. He rejected Moses. He stood against Moses in every way possible. Uh, He did not seek to glorify God, nor could he. He was an unredeemed individual. But God said about him, he said in Exodus 14, 17, he says, I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. God said, I will be honored. And he was glorified in those means. God's message to Pharaoh was uh, in Exodus 9, 16, Indeed, for this cause, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Even Pharaoh, who stood firmly against God, God said, I will be glorified by the destruction that I bring on you. Because everyone will look and know that Pharaoh could not glorify God in his own life, but he was glorified in his destruction. He glorified God because God was, was shown to be all-powerful, almighty, all-holy, all-righteous. That's what he did. So even unredeemed will glorify God. The redeemed man, though, those that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, how is able to glorify the Lord. And he will glorify God if he or she is faithful. The first question in the shorter catechism uh, is what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How many have heard that ever in your lives? A lot of us have heard that. That is our purpose. That's the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the catechism is right in declaring that that is the pinnacle uh, of man's being, is glorifying and enjoying God. That's what we're to be about. The highest purpose any individual can have, any single one of us, is to be totally absorbed in the person of God. That's what our highest calling is. And to view all of life through his perspective. To see everything from his perspective. That is the perspective of a true worshiper, one that worships God. Now that word glory, 
And we're still kind of laying the groundwork here on this passage. That word glory means something that is worthy of praise or exaltation, brilliance, beauty, renown. That's what that means. So there's two aspects to God's glory. The first of all aspect of God's glory is his inherent or his intrinsic glory, which means God is, only, is the only being in all of existence who possesses inherent glory. Um, no one can give it to him. It is already completely, it completely belongs to him and by virtue of who he is. He is God. He is all glorious. If no one ever gave God glory or praise, he would still be all glorious and all worthy of praise. Before any one of us was created, before any person was created, God was all glorious. So he doesn't need anything from us to add to his glory in any, in the same way as he doesn't need anything from me to add to his power. God is all powerful. I can, I, I can say, God, I'll pick this podium up for you. He doesn't need me. I don't add to his power. And I might be kidding that I can pick up this podium. I don't know, but I think I could. But that is God's intrinsic glory. He is all glorious. But I'm called to glorify God. So that's the second aspect of God's glory when we're just talking about glory is, is ascribed glory is what that's called. Psalm 29 verse 1 and 2 talks about ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Now, obviously, I can't add to God's glory. We just talked about that. The psalmist is simply urging us to recognize and acclaim God's glory. To recognize it. To acclaim it. To shout it out and say, I see it and I recognize it and I know that it is all you. It's praise. It is worship. It's giving honor and adoration to his glory, to his majesty. That's what it is. So, and as we talk about that, you go, well, how do I do that practically? There's a lot of ways we do that. And we, each of these is, this is like a whole nother lesson, but there's a lot of ways that we practically give glory to God. Um, confession of sin in John, uh, Joshua seven nineteen is glorifying to God. Trusting God is glorifying him. Trusting in his might and his power, bearing fruit for him. Being active as a believer and bearing fruit by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is glorifying to God. This isn't something that we just say, I'm going to praise him, which praise is wonderful, but that's not the only way to glorify God. Thanking him, we can thank him, that glorifies God, according to Psalm 50, 23. Suffering for Christ. When you stand firm in the truth of God's word and you receive ridicule and suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, that is glorifying to him. That is lifting him up. That is, and he doesn't need it, but it is, a, uh, you are giving to him, you are assigning to him the glory that he is due. 
Um, being content is glorifying to God. Um, according to Philippians 4, 10 through 20, praying is glorifying to God. Praying, reaching out to him, speaking to him, spreading the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ is glorifying to God. All these things, anything and everything that a Christian says and does should be glorifying to God. That's our chief end. So we have this freedom. So we talked about that whenever we read this passage. It starts out, uh, all things are lawful. So everybody, whenever I start talking about freedom, everybody gets excited. You know, okay, hey, I want to talk about freedom. So how does this relate to God's glory. And that's what Paul is getting ready to walk us through. He's getting ready to walk us through how our freedoms relate to God's glory. There's three main things, main points that we're going to make. So I'm going to have an A, B, and C, and then I'm going to have multiple minor points under those. But A is the guidelines for using Christian freedom. The guidelines for using Christian freedom. He gives us actually four guidelines under this, in this passage. And this comes from verses 23 through 30. These four guidelines, these basics that are given to us in regards to our freedom. So number one, under the guidelines for using Christian freedom, is edification over gratification. Now, whenever I talk about the guidelines for Christian freedom, we're not, most of us think about freedom like we think about Kevin and Home Alone. My parents are gone. I can do whatever I want to do. And if you were, had your TV on at all in the last month, you saw Home Alone was on. I can jump on the bed. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can go wherever I want to go. All these different things that they think about freedom like Kevin and Home Alone. Do whatever I want to do. That's not what true freedom is. Paul summarizes this and he goes through these passages and he's wanting us to get a mindset of our freedom. So he starts out and he says, all things are lawful, verse 23, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So here, Paul is summarizing what he uh, has been saying about Christian freedom. He's been talking about Christian freedom. Because the apostle refers to it several times, it's probably a phrase that he used in his teaching with them. All things are lawful uh, when he taught in Corinth. But apparently some of these believers had taken that out of context. They said, oh, all things are lawful. Okay, well, then I can go to this pagan temple and worship, be at that worship. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I can do that. The apostle explains in his letter that th that phrase is in relation to Christian liberty, means that all things not specifically identified as sinful in Scripture and previously called out are lawful. Um, I remember when Mandy and I first came to uh, Countryside, within a short period of time, one of the first things that we heard uh, Pastor Tom teach, and I just, this stuck with me, he said, he was talking about, there's the, and you probably have heard this because he has said this many times, in scripture, when it comes to decisions and what do I do on this, there's the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's. 
if Scripture clearly says, thou shalt not do this, then don't do it. And if it says, thou shalt do this, you do it. Everything else is a wisdom issue. There's, I mean, the Bible doesn't specifically speak to, should I rent or buy a house? Ah, I don't know. It's a wisdom issue. There's a lot of things that fall in this, what people call this gray area. And there's a lot of things in this gray area that are not specifically addressed in Scripture. And Paul is talking about all of these things in this gray area. Because as a believer, there's a lot of freedom that we have. But we have to remember that our ultimate goal is to glorify God, right? That is our ultimate goal and purpose. Our ultimate goal and purpose is not our own personal gratification, our own personal enjoyment. And that's, that's generally the way we go. That's the way our minds think. I'm all about personal gratification. I'm all about what's good for me. That's our human nature. And instead, our human nature is to be, I want to glorify God in everything that I do. So here he mentions all things are lawful. Uh, he specifically says that the unrighteous, sh- uh, so if you backed up and you would know, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we don't have a ton of time. Uh, you specifically know that he's not saying all things are lawful, period, end of statement. If you go back to chapter 6, and we don't have time to do this, he talks about all things are lawful, and then he specifically says in verse, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he gives an extensive list of sins that characterize the unrighteous. So there are things that are specifically called out in Scripture that are thou shalt not. Those things are off limits. We are not to be involved in those things. He uses all things are lawful, uh, refers to questionable practices, things that are in that gray area that we haven't been specifically addressed. So the basic meaning, so that's all things are lawful. Then there's these terms, uh, but not all things are profitable and not all things edify. So what is profitable and edify? The basic meaning of edify is to build a house. Love building terms because I'm in construction. So that kind of hits me right where I want to be hit, so to speak. Um, I love construction, and it means edifies to build a house. Um, and by extension, that term also refers to figuratively, figuratively building up of anything, to build up, to grow, to build up. It often is used in the New Testament to, to describe spiritual growth or building up of believers. That's what that term means, to edify, to build up or to the spiritual growth of other believers or to us. Whatever contributes to spiritual growth constitutes what is profitable or beneficial or helpful, advantageous, useful. That's what profitable is. Only things that are profitable are able to edify. That's it. Those two present active indicative verbs basically convey the same truth. And I had to read that from a commentary because I don't know what a present active indicative verb is anymore. I am so far from English class, it's not even funny. 
I'm a big fan of spell check. Just put it that way. And it tells me, change this up, and why didn't you put this in here? There are many ways in which we are to build up other believers, uh, in which we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Um, But there's actually basically, and this is kind of like a little sidebar to this point, edification over gratification. If we're going to build up something, if we're going to edify, if we're going to be profitable, what are the things that build up? What are the things that edify? There's basic tools that we can use to grow up in and to be profitable and to edify ourselves and to others. The first thing, and this is like little sidebar notes, four things, his word. God's word edifies. Um, in his letter in Acts 20, uh, Paul says, and now I commend you to God and to the work of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. God's word is his supreme means of building up believers. The second is preaching and teaching. To be sitting under preaching and teaching builds you up. It edifies you. It grows you in your knowledge of God. It grows you in your understanding of how God works and how he thinks, um, which is, makes it incredibly important for you to choose correctly and wisely whose teaching you sit under, whose teaching you allow to influence you. But preaching and teaching. Um, later in this letter, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says to the Corinthians, um, rather than them being concerned about speaking in tongues, he says they should, be, they should focus on prophesying or preaching, which, and he said, this is in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says, speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That word prophesy <coughs> is also used as preaching. So preaching edifies us. The third thing that edifies us is love. According to scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Knowledge tends to make us proud and arrogant, whereas love edifies. It edifies others. The fourth is obedient service. Obedient service. The purpose of the Christian ministry is to equip the saints for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. That is the purpose of service. It, it, it edifies, it builds up. So those are just four quick things that we can do that allow us to edify others. Desiring the spiritual benefit and edification of ourselves and of others is a hallmark of Christian, and edification of ourselves and others is a hallmark of Christian maturity. Paul told the Ephesian elders that he had not withheld from them anything that was profitable. He wanted to give them everything that was profitable, that was edifying, that was beneficial to them. Um, He called Timothy to be faithful to the scripture, uh, to the scriptures which are profitable. uh, To the Corinthians, he'd said, let all things be done for edification in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. His purpose, Paul's supreme purpose in ministering to other believers was to promote their building up and for their edification. That's what he was all about. 
MacArthur's commentary on this verse says, when we are faced with a decision about a practice, anything that we think we want to do or be involved in, we should first ask if we have a right to do it. If it is not forbidden in Scripture, the answer is yes. We have a right to do it. But our next question should be, is it profitable, edifying, and building up for ourselves and for others? If the answer to both questions is yes, then we can do it to God's glory. If the answer to either question is no, we cannot do it for his glory. That is the mindset that, we should, that Paul is encouraging us to have as believers with the freedom that we have in Christ. So the first thing was edification over gratification. The second thing is others over self. Others over self. It says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. This is the second principle or guideline uh, that he's given Christians for the freedom that they have, for the glory of God. And it's really more demanding um, than the first one. Even if something will build us up, we should not do it if it is also, uh, if it is not also for the good of others. It's not all just about us. It's about others. Our primary concern should be for the good of our neighbor, of other believers. Now, that's a principle that's contrary to our human nature. Our human nature is all about us. We are all about us, not about others. Let me ask you a question, and this point is very short and we're going to get on to the next one pretty quick. But let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything out loud. Have you ever given up something for the sake of someone else? Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to give up something for the sake of somebody else, for somebody else's benefit, for somebody else's need, for the edification, profit, or building up of someone else? Think about that. If the answer is no, then the mindset has got to change. The mindset, it's not about me, it's about others. Because if I'm going to be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ, it's about me emulating him, not taking care of me. It's a different mindset. Paul addressed this in the letters to the believers at Philippi when he wrote to them, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He states it very clearly. So, number two was others over self. Number three is liberty over legalism. Liberty over legalism. And I do have to state that these points, the names of these points, um, I pulled the exact lines out of MacArthur's commentary because they were so good. 
And I tried to come up with my own, but I couldn't come up with any that were better than his. So I was like, we're going to use his, line, his headlines because I really like the way they are stated. So these are not my own. Liberty over legalism. In verse 25, it says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So Paul introduces this little fictional scenario, if you will. Not fictional, little hypothetical. He gives this little scenario. Um, and it's a principle for using the Christian liberty that we have, the Christian freedoms that we have for God's glory um, over legalism. In some ways, this principle kind of counterbalances the previous one. The true welfare of others should be our first concern, should be. But their standards cannot rule over everything that we do. Now, this was a big issue during the days uh, in Israel when this was being written because man's law at times superseded God's law. The Jews had added so many things to the law that they had determined were right and that needed to be done that those were held in higher, sometimes higher esteem than even God's word itself. And so that created a lot of legalism. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. And if you do that, then you're unrighteous. Well, where is that in Scripture? That's not in Scripture. But, but this is, uh, they'll take Scripture out of context, and they'll use Scripture out of context to uh, apply their own legalism. As much as possible, we should keep from offending the weak conscience of fellow believers. But we should not go to legalistic extreme of making great issue out of everything that we do. If we make a decision to do something for the sake of our own conscience, hey, I don't need to watch such and such movie. That's my decision. Um, I remember, I'll use this example, uh, after we had come to countryside, uh, we were, Mandy was talking to Sheila. Pennington and they were talking and something there was a movie that was out and Sheila made the statement she goes yeah we decided we're not going to let the girls see that da da, da 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 and here you know here's why and then she immediately said to Mandy she says but that's our decision if you guys decide to see it that's your call that's your decision she wanted to be very clear that this was their decision. I'm not seeking to be legalistic and make you say you have to make a decision based on what I've decided. Which I thought, Mandy came back and she's like, that is, I mean, we grew up in a very legalistic mindset in the churches and in the groups that we grew up in. The churches we grew up with, there was a lot of legalism. So she was like, this is awesome that she is so not legalistic, and it was amazing. And so we want to have a mindset, and this is what Paul is pushing, that we want to have liberty over legalism. We don't want it to rule us, but at the same time, 
we want to take care of the person that has the mindset that might be different than ours. Paul uses this illustration of a food uh, offered to idols. We tend to not have that issue. We go to Tom Thumb or Kroger or wherever and just get our meat, right? We can go up there and get it. Uh, when we go to the meat market, no one asks, now wait, was this offered to an idol, this ground beef? Or can I just make burgers out of it or tacos or something? What, what are we doing here? It's not marked offered to idols. We don't ask that question. We don't have to worry about that. We just go ahead and buy it without, con- and, uh, and he's saying when you go to the meat market and you buy meat, don't worry about it. Just buy the meat. And he says, without asking questions for conscience sake, just buy the meat and use the meat. And quoting Psalm 24, Paul says, for the earth is the Lord and all it contains. Christians have no business participating in an idolatrous uh, ceremony. We're not to do that because to do so would become shares of demons as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But after the idol meat is sent to the market, it's just another piece of meat. Is what Paul's saying. It's just a piece of meat. That cow didn't say, hey, I want to be involved in a sacrifice and then I want to be sold as a sacrificed meat. No, it just, it's just a piece of meat. It is food for the, uh, that the Lord provides from the earth, is what Paul is saying, and can be eaten with a clear conscience and with thanksgiving. For everything, 1 Timothy 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to, if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer, which a lot of people say that's why we pray before we eat that passage. We want to pray and thank God and give God glory for what he has provided. Uh, So if an unbeliever invites you to eat with him, you should act in the same way without asking questions for conscience sake, Paul says. If you want to accept his invitation, you can do so without asking embarrassing questions. Uh, It is if the possibility of eating idle meat does not bother you, go ahead and enjoy the meal. Not a problem. Eat anything that is set in front of you. Freedom in Christ is a privilege to be forfeited only when it clearly offends another person. So even if I feel that I have the freedom to eat this meat, if this is going to totally offend Edwin because I am eating meat, taco meat, that was used in in an idol sacrifice, then my focus should not be on my freedom to eat this taco. My focus should be on Edwin, on showing genuine love to Edwin, on taking care of his conscience and showing genuine love towards him. That should be my focus more than my freedom with the taco. And we tend to have the mindset of, I have the freedom with this taco. I am all about my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't have a problem in my conscience, so I'm doing this. Paul's saying, don't have that attitude. It should be about others not about yourself. Freedom in Christ is a privilege to be forfeited only when it clearly may offend another person. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. When we restrict our liberty 
for the sake of a weaker brother, we should also try to help him grow in his understanding of the truth of God's word and of the Christian freedoms that we have. So, number three was liberty over legalism. Number four is condensation over condemnation. uh, Condescension over condemnation. Sorry. Condescension over condemnation. In verse 28, it says, But if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols. So, back at that hypothetical situation, sitting at this meal. But if anyone says to you, hey, by the way, these tacos, taco meat, sacrificed idols. That's what, that's what we did. We went and specifically, we wanted to get sacrificed meat. If they say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. Whoa, what happened here? Where'd my freedom go? I like the freedom passage where I could eat the taco, eat, do whatever I wanted to do. I don't know that they ate tacos in Israel. I just use that because I like tacos. So um, this is meat sacrificed to idols. So don't go back to your parents and say, Craig was talking about tacos all morning. I don't know what his message was about, but he's talking about tacos. This is meat sacrificed to idols. Do not eat it for the sake of the one that has informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why, is it, it, uh, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning the, that for which I give thanks? So this fourth guideline that's given over this hypothetical meal at a pagan's house is, he says, if anyone in this case, another believer happens to be there and tells you this is meat sacrificed to idols, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who has informed you. The reason that they have informed you is they have an issue. Hey, this is meat sacrificed to idols. Don't eat it. Give up your liberty so that his conscience will not be hurt. It will not be offended. Paul makes it clear that for conscience sake refers to the other man's conscience, not your own. We are to modify our actions for the sake of others, but we're not to modify our own conscience. If our conscience tells us we're to do something, we need to do it. Or not to do something, we don't need to do it. The legalism of a weaker brother should not make us legalistic, only more gracious to them. So that's point number four. Let me just say this. Our own freedom should not be judged by another's conscience. That is, we should not cause our freedom to be slandered by expressing it in ways that offend a weaker brother. We should give thanks for the food and for the liberty uh, and for our liberty and then express our liberty by choosing not to eat the food that offends the brother. So, A was the guidelines for using Christian freedom. B is the purpose of Christian freedom. B is the purpose of Christian freedom. And don't get worried. These are shorter points, much shorter. It says in verses 31 and 32, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks 
or to the church of God. The purpose of us using our liberty carefully and selflessly is to glorify God. That's the purpose of us using our freedom. It's to glorify God. The idea of eating and drinking in this context is of things offered to idols, but it is not limited to that. Everything that we do. Paul is saying that even when the most mundane, routine things that we do, non-spiritual things of life, like ordinary eating and drinking, God is to be glorified. We are to have this mindset in the way that we make our bed, in the way that we clean up our room, in the way that we do our work, in the way that you do your homework, in the way that you treat your parents, in the way that you talk to your brothers and sisters, in the way that you spend your time thinking and what you think about and how you allow yourself to think. Everything that we do, we are to do to the glory of God. A person either lives a life that honors God or you live a life that dishonors God. God's own people can become a reproach to him. We see that that happened in the Old Testament whenever Israel turned their back on God and Israel was allowed to be conquered by Assyria. Judah was allowed to be conquered by uh, Babylonia in 586 B.C. Those things happened and they brought dishonor to the name of God. And you go, man, why would God allow that to happen? His name suffered reproach. All these heathen nations took over Israel and Judah. They were put into exile. And then he says through his prophet Ezekiel, who had been taken captive and was in Babylon, God promised that he would deliver and regather his people. And this is what he said. But the purpose would be primarily not for the sake of his people, but he says in Ezekiel 36, he says, to vindicate my holiness, the, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. God was concerned about his glory and his name in front of all people. God is dishonored when we sin. That is not glorifying to God. When we sin, any sin, it robs God of the glory he deserves. So B was the purpose of Christian freedom. C is the pattern of Christian freedom. This is our last point. It says, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, of the many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So Paul closed this section out. He had spent months and months and months with the Corinthians. He had lived amongst them, and he lived in a way as to please all men in all things, not seeking his own profit, but the profit of the many that they might be saved. That was his mindset. It is not about me. It's not about the freedoms that I have in Christ. It is about glorifying God and it is about edifying and lifting up 
believers, and it is about being a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ to those that are not saved. That was his purpose. That's what he was about. He had lived and ministered around them for approximately 18 months, months and months and months. They knew his example. They had seen his example. He lived the example in front of them. He said, be imitators of me. Do what I've done. I've set the example physically for you to see. And his goal was to bring salvation to people, to bring discipleship to people, to build people up in, the, in, the, in their knowledge of Jesus Christ and in their growth as a believer. The reason Paul was so confident, it wasn't arrogance. The reason he was so confident about the example that he set and, uh, and successful in his Christian living in general is because he was an imitator of Christ. He set Christ as his example. The supreme example of one who sets aside his rights for the sake of others is Jesus Christ. The one who, according to Philippians 2, 7, emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, a slave. That's what he did. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not to the point of uncomfortable, not to the point of kind of painful, to the point of death. Paul called the, Christ, Christ called the Corinthians to imitate him as he imitated Jesus Christ. So when we think about freedom, and it is a blessing to have freedom in Christ, and we're grateful for that freedom, but that freedom is to be used ultimately for the glory of God, not for ourselves, for the building up of fellow believers for the witness and testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives to those that don't know him. That's the goal of the freedom that we have. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this freedom. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, the way that you use your word to change our mindsets. Father, we, uh, in our sin nature, we don't think correctly. We don't have the right mindset. We don't have the right motives. We don't have the right desires. But, Father, we pray that you would change our hearts, our minds, our purposes, our goals, our motives. That, Father, you would allow us to see things from your perspective and not from our own. That we would seek the benefit of others above ourselves. That we would seek the uh, edification of fellow believers. That we, everything that we do would be profitable for them. From the time that we walk even into this room, into this gym, and we're around fellow believers, that we would have a mindset of, I want to build up, I want to encourage, I want to be profitable for the name of Jesus Christ to those that are around me. Father, I pray that you would give us a heart uh, that is aligned with your own. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.